Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. I personally thank you for the white stuff outside. I thank you, Lord God, that, that it's white and it actually brings somewhat of a pureness to the sky and to the darkness that we face in winter. So, Lord, I thank you for that, Lord, and I thank you that you are good to us. And God, as it was already prayed, whether we have a good week upcoming or a hard week, we put our trust in you. And Lord, anything that you convict us of today or anything that you challenge us of today, you give us the power to walk it out. You give us the anointing to walk out this life. And so, Father, would you speak to us this morning through your word? I pray and ask that you would help me to speak your word in the right tone, the right manner, in a way that is pleasing to you. And Holy Spirit, we trust you that you would open up our eyes that you would open up our ears and that you would allow our souls and our hearts to understand what you're speaking to us this morning. And we thank you, Lord, for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. I wanted to start off with a quick story um, this morning because I think it's a, it's a good story of restoration. Many of you guys know what church discipline is, Right? And you're like, why am I going to talk about church? Why is he going to talk about church discipline? I'm not calling anybody out this morning. Okay? So just... Church discipline is there in order to help restore a brother or sister back into the fellowship and into a right relationship with God. It's not to condemn. You know, and I was thinking this um, week is sometimes I get caught up in a brother's fall or a sister's fall and just kind of throw them to the side and, well, that's just it. Instead of really, am I a person of restoration? Am I a person that gives forgiveness and wants to see people restored? And sometimes it's challenging because of situations in life, but we were in Turkey um, working, as you know, we worked amongst Muslims, there was a brother that came to us from the southeast part of Turkey, and he was a Kurd. And he had to do his, what they call askerlik. It's the soldier duty. And when you're 18, you have to go right into being a soldier for the men in Turkey. Or you go to college, and so a lot of people are in college to skip at least the portion of that before they have to go. And they serve 18 months. Well, this guy, they always do something kind of weird in Turkey where they everybody from the southeast gets uh, put in the northwest, and everybody in the northwest goes to the southeast, which is dangerous over there. Um, but anyway, they do that. And we had this brother come to us, and we were doing church planning. And he was a unique brother. We didn't know who he was, and it's hard to trust people in that type of environment. But he came to us, and his name was Ender, and he came to us and said, I'm under church discipline. And we were like, okay. And he said, I'm going to give you my pastor's number, and you can talk to him of why I'm under church discipline. And then, But actually, he went ahead and explained to us later in tears of why he was under church discipline. You see, he was a leader in the church, he was doing things for God, and I, I try. When you get a Turk or a Kurd that is in love with Jesus and working, you put them right into leadership because there's not much leadership. But in the midst of this, him and his girlfriend had had relationship with one another, 
And he actually went and confessed to the pastor, and he was going to become a pastor. And then they put him under church discipline where he was not allowed to do any ministry for a year or so. And as he was telling us this, he, he was in tears, and we didn't know if we could trust him. But the more we worked with this guy, and he wasn't in any type of leadership, but just coming to our, our fellowship, we realized that he had a special heart. And you know, oftentimes we put up our, our hands and say, you've sinned, you're done. You, you can't recover from it. But he put himself where he should have put himself and was restored back to the body. Where now today, he has four children and he's a pastor in one of the more dangerous places in Turkey. Thriving. But if he would have took his sin and said, you know what, I've sinned, I'm done... And the church would have said, you're no good to us anymore. It would have been a travesty. And it wouldn't have been a good thing, but he was restored in the right way. And see, the reason why I say religion destroys and Jesus restores is because religion does not give us a place of grace. And coming back into a right relationship with Jesus And this morning I want to talk about three points is knowing the heart of God, the lost son, and the jealous brother. And so if you could turn to Luke, well, go to John 14 first, and then we'll come back to Luke 15. And I just want to read some scriptures to you, and we'll go through this first point as quick as possible. But I really think it means everything to us. Because what I think happens so often is we get confused of who God is. And so we're going to read Scripture real quick and we're going to actually see who God really is and and what He is like. And you see, we cannot go very far without looking to Jesus. If you want to know who God is, I suggest you get very familiar with the books and the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and see how the Father relates to His creation. Because when you see God, when you see Jesus, you see the Father. There's no separation, and although we we take God in the totality of Scripture, we don't just look at God only in the New Testament, but we look at all of God in His character throughout the Old and New. But Jesus came. And so let's read together, and I think the Scriptures as always will speak for themselves. He says this, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many rooms. If not, I would have told you. I am going away to prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to Myself, so that where I am, you may be also. You know the way where I am going. You know the way where I am going. And Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you are going, and how can we know the way? And Jesus says this, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will also know the Father. From now on, you do know Him and you have seen Him. So if you want to know the way to eternal life, it's to know Jesus and to know the Father. And so I don't want to confuse you this morning. There is no other way than through Jesus. He says this Himself. And then we'll go on and it says, Philip said this, Lord, show us the Father. And that's enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been among you all this time and you do not know me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. The Father who lives in me does His works. Believe me, that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. And he says it, what I would say like this, I want to top this off. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. So not only am I telling you that the Father is me in me and I in Him, when you see me, you see the Father. Oh yeah, look at all my works. Look at all of all my done. Could a man do this without being in God, there is no possible way. And so as I look upward today, and I think about a relationship with God and knowing God, which is true eternal life, is to know Jesus. There is no separation from the two. And you know what? That puts me in really good relationships. With the Father. Not only does it do that, it puts me in a really good mood today. Because I don't have to wonder who the Father is. You see, an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ is knowing the Father. And I guess I could say that over and over and over again, but you don't want to hear that over and over again. But sometimes we just need to remind ourselves that if you know Jesus... You truly know God. And so we're going to be looking at in the next year of what it means to know God. What it means to walk in a right relationship with the Father, hand in hand. And where you don't have to do anything alone or by yourself. You have the Creator in you and working through you. So let's go to Luke 15. And we're going to look at the prodigal son this morning. And as I was reading different things, and really they say the name for this parable, and it's almost an allegory a story because of all that's going on. Usually parables have one truth. This one kind of plays with a couple uh, scenarios. But it says it really should be the prodigal of the loving father. Because you see the Father's action. So we'll get to that. But the reason Jesus gave this parable, you'll find it, and we won't put the Scripture up there, but in 15.1 it says, all the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to Him. Then the Pharisees and scribes were complaining, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. 
And so they were questioning Jesus why he allows this to happen. And Jesus tells us that he didn't come for the well. He came for the sick. And so Jesus is beginning a dialogue with them through all of chapter 15 and saying who God is. And so let's look. And I know a lot of you have heard this story, so it won't be anything new. But I pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to you. Let's read. He also said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country. I want to just stop right here and just tell you the audacity of this son to ask the father for the inheritance at this time. You see, it was, it was supposed to be something that was given later, but he asked for it now. And so he takes the inheritance. And I think it's hard for us sometimes in the Western world to understand what inheritance is. Because we do live in a different times where our kids can go and they can work and get into debt <laughs> today. And we don't really pass down a lot of things. But I, I remember in Turkey seeing my friends when they turned 20, 21, or a little bit older when they got responsible, that their families, or when they got married, they would buy them their own house. And they set them up by doing this, which was not cheap. But it was a gift to the son or the daughter is saying, this is part of your inheritance, we're going to buy it for you. I wish my mom and dad were rich enough to have done that for me. But they weren't. Anyway, here's what he did with the inheritance. He went and squandered his estate in foolish living. After he had spent everything, severe famine struck that country, and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. Again, you see something in the story that is not right. It's one thing for a Jew to be amongst the pigs. Jews are totally against unclean animals. We all know this from the Old Testament. Is to be with a pig is really a bad state. And not only was he with the pigs, he wanted to eat what the pigs were eating. And if you've ever seen pig slop, it's disgusting. It stinks. It's actually the pig slop, slop that I've seen growing up was rotten food from the scraps from the table. And he was wanting to eat what they were eating because he was so hungry. He had given up everything that he had earned from his father through the inheritance. And when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food? And here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up Go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven 
and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. And I want to talk just for a moment about the son. We already know that he squandered his inheritance. And maybe we can liken the son to us that have come into faith. And as far as I see in the Bible, that our inheritance is huge. Actually, the Bible says we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. As I read through the Bible, I don't even think we've tapped into that inheritance. Because the inheritance has power. The inheritance has anointing. And we actually sit with Christ in the heavenlies, according to Ephesians. So I liken the Son as, if you don't mind me to indulge this way just for a moment, is that the Son had the inheritance and he, he went and squandered it all. And then he finds himself in a deep, dark state. He looks around and all the partying has stopped. And now he needs to eat, but there's nowhere to eat because there's a famine in the land. And I don't know about you, but I have found myself here. I have found myself where I had nothing. And I had nowhere but to look up. And then something happened to me and that I know something has happened to some of you, is that you came to your senses. The Holy Spirit began to speak to you, and you began to realize that I have sinned against God, I have sinned against others, and we almost would liken it that He comes to a conversion point. Where the Son comes to His senses, and He says, hey, my Father's house, the slaves eat well. I'm going to go to my Father and I'm going to ask for forgiveness because I sinned against, sinned against heaven and I've sinned against Him. And I remember doing that as a young, strung-out addict. I remember something in my heart and mind saying, you know what, I remember my family. I remember growing up in a peaceful home. Now, not everybody has that, but I did grow up in a pretty God-fearing family at the time. And I remember to look, I remember the peace as a child, although I didn't know Jesus at all. I remember the peace, and that's when my senses began to come back to me. And I began to ask the question of, I need a Savior. I need a Savior anywhere at my lowest point. And I remember coming back to my senses. And you see, some of us, we do have to be scared, not scared in the sense that once sin is conceived, sin takes over. And the result of that is death. But see, in Jesus there is eternal life. There is an antidote for your sickness and it's in Christ Jesus. And so He comes back to the Father. 
So he got up in verse 20 and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. And that isn't normal. Another abnormal thing in the scripture is the father normally would wait back, would set back and the son would come to him, but the father ran to his son in compassion. And he ran and threw his arms around his neck and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in your sight I am no longer to be called your son. Can you imagine the picture right here going on? As the father comes and he wraps his arm around that son, and the son confesses. But it doesn't stop there. But the father told his servants, quick, bring him the best robe, which is honor, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, which shows authority, and sandals on his feet, which shows that he isn't a slave. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it, and let's celebrate with a feast, because the son of mine who was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. And this goes along with what Jesus has already said in the early part of 15, is that when the one is lost, when one, here's what it says, I'll say it exactly. I tell you in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. Then he goes on to say this about the lost coin. I tell you in the same way there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. Imagine this. Is when you repented, all heaven rejoiced. There was a party in the heavenlies about you. To me, that's pretty cool. And then not only that, is there are some that haven't came into the kingdom that heaven is just waiting to rejoice over them. And you see, he never got to the chance, not, he never went to the quote, I'm no longer worthy, let me be a slave. The Father never let him get to that point. So I want you to know something this morning. If you have sinned, and you feel that you are condemned for the rest of your life, that is a lie from Satan. Every one of us had believed the lie that, oh, I've sinned too much. God won't forgive me for this sin. All of us have struggled with that at one point. I would say the majority of us have struggled with that. Maybe not all, but the majority, and I know I have. The things that I'd done before I came to Christ make me sad. But I believe that there's restoration in the cross of Jesus Christ. 
I believe when one sinner returns to the Christ that he is forgiven, that his life is made new, your slate is clean. But see, what we want to do in this thing called religion, we want to look at people who have fallen, and there is church discipline, so please, I'm not giving a get-out-of-jail-free card. Are you kidding? Um, just joking. Is that we want to continue to keep them in that place of failure and of sin instead of restoring them back into the kingdom. You see, religion says that if I do this, that I have earned God's favor. But the only thing is what happens when we come under the law, which is either man's law or the Old Testament law. When we come under that law, that standard is huge. And we become a slave to that law. And we are free from that law through Christ Jesus. But religion says, okay, I've got to read my Bible an hour a day. I've got to, um, I've got to make sure I give this, this, and this. And all those things, trust me, if you were with me, you would see how I thrive on those things. So I'm not saying don't do it. But if that's my mark for being a good Christian, I'm a slave to that mark. But here's the deal. There's somebody over here that has paid the price for you that says you are clean. And one of the best uh, uh, pictures of that, if you get time later, is Zechariah 3. It is a phenomenal scripture that if you are a new believer, old believer, you should soak that in, memorize it. And it's where God gives Joshua the high priest, a new robe and a new turban on his head and declares that he is clean and righteous while Satan is there accusing him. And then through that, uh, the story says that the angel said, Satan rebukes you. Or, sorry, the Lord rebukes you. The Lord rebukes you. So your accuser is rebuked. If you walk in that truth, your accuser is rebuked. And so you have this one who is the, the, the follower's standard, who is Jesus Christ. He is our standard of our righteousness. And you see, I talk about there's two different kind of slaves. Well, we should read on. Let's read on so that I don't take up too much of your time. We'll read on. Uh, and we'll go to the third point, which is Jesus's, or which is the jealous brother. Then he became angry in verse 28, actually 25. Man, I'm hitting on all cylinders this morning. 25. Now the, his older son was in the field, and he came near the house, and he heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of his servants, questioning what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told him, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and didn't want to go in. So his brother came out and pleaded with him, but he replied to his father, Look, 
I have been slaving many years for you. I have never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son, when this son of yours, he doesn't even call him his brother, he calls him this son of yours, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Now, just for the um, sake of being a devil's advocate this morning, is I can imagine the brother who has not broken any of the rules, who has worked hard in the field saying, look, my brother, your son, everything that I have worked hard to maintain for you, Father, he has wasted it. And here I am maintaining the fields for you. Again, though, why was he serving? Was he serving out of love? Or was he serving out of duty? And he says that he devoured his assets. And then the father says this, Son, he said to him, you're always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And you see, there's two different pictures here that we have playing within the brother, within what we would say the religious man. Is it what was he a slave to? And I would ask you, what kind of slave are you this morning? You see, there's two different slaveries going on here. And two different servants. One is a slave and a servant out of obligation. And has been toiling for a long time, is getting tired, but can't get out under that bond and yoke of slavery. And then there's the bond servant. The bond servant, the bond slave. There's two different things going on here. We learn through the Bible that a slave sells himself good slavery. I know that sounds weird, but good biblical slavery was somebody who was paying off a debt. And when the debt was paid, they were free. That's not the slavery we saw in America, just so you know. It's not even close. But they were supposed to be free. But then what happened when the freedom came for that servant or the slave, they became bond servants. Bond servants. And a bond servant is you become a servant for out of love now. And you are serving God out of love and not out, out of obligation. But the, the second son that we see in the picture was not a bond servant like he should have been. And what they would do is they'd actually nail the ear to a post to mark them as a bondservant. But they chose to be there. And you see, sometimes a religious person would rather see a sinner destroyed than saved. God is more merciful in His judgments than in many religious men and women. The love of God is broader than the love of man. 
It's hard to fathom. It's hard to understand. God can forgive even when others refuse to forgive. Let me say it again. God can forgive even when others refuse to forgive. And so as we look at the story and we're, we came to the end of Luke 15, is we're being challenged here in many fronts. How are we responding to a sick and dying world? How are we responding to the sinner that needs Jesus Christ? How are we responding when people go contrary to all that we know is true and right? Are we acting as Jesus would act? Wanting all those, all the sinners to come to repentance? Or are we wanting to shun them and say you're condemned to hell? Because that's what we're saying. When we're not praying for them, when we're not loving on them. And you see, Jesus, tax collectors and sinners, those were the sinners of all sinners in His day. And then, when a brother or sister falls into sin, we have to encourage them to get back up and to forsake that sin, but what is our attitude toward them? And then this morning, I want to leave you with the Father heart of God in regard to sin. It breaks the heart of God when you sin. It breaks the heart of God when you squander your inheritance. You see, there was a separation that happened here. The prodigal son left. He left. There was separation. And you can't tell me the father in this story was not hurting. If he wasn't, he wouldn't have been longing when he saw a son, he wouldn't have ran to him. You see, Father God is waiting for us to come back. And there is nothing that can keep you from salvation. There is nothing that can keep you from repentance. Let's pray just for a moment. Let's, let's pray together. Father, there's a lot going on in this story, and this is a different morning, Lord. And I just pray and ask You, Lord, that there are those that You are wanting to speak to through this story this morning. God, we don't know who it is, and and You haven't revealed that, but I know that there's some that are squandering their inheritance. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that they would squander no more. I pray that You would speak to them they would do something this morning that would turn to You, turn to trust and faith in Your redemptive work. 
And God, some of us need to feel your embrace. Some of us need to know that you are, you are longing to throw your arms around us as your creation. And Jesus, you said you were the way, the truth, and the life. So embrace that individual this morning. And Lord, I pray for those who have worked for you year after year after year. Those who have stood the test of time even through this body and what it's been through at Cornerstone. And maybe their hearts have become hardened because of sadness or bitterness. I pray that you'd break that off them today. God, that they can just walk in the fullness of your Son. Because Jesus in you, there's fullness of joy. In you, Christ, there's peace. And God, if we miss out on that inheritance, oh, woe is us. Woe is us. Help us all to walk in your love and in your embrace as we see your heart today. Lord, may we be your heart, your hands and feet to those who are sick, to those who are dying and need your love today. We look to you, Lord. In Jesus' name.